We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 8. If you'll find John chapter 8 in your scripture. And as I began to read it earlier this week um, in in the section we're going to begin today, it definitely feels like as we get only a few months left in the life of Christ in our study in John, it definitely feels like things are ramping up. I mean, his, his tone, the tone of the sermon to me appears to be ramping up, getting more intense, uh, a little more blunt, honestly, if you will, and some of the things that Christ is saying. And, and so I was just thinking about how he had spoken in parables. He had said things previously that, that, were, that was difficult for them to understand. He had, um, again, just had so many people misunderstand things he was saying. But in our text today, he's going to be so plain, so clear, so blunt about some truths that there's really no way to mistake it. And I hope you'll do that. And so I want to give you, before we read it, three things to look for in this reading. So before we read it, I want you to notice three things. First, I want you to notice, uh, yeah, the intensity with which Jesus speaks. And so as we read it, notice the intensity of uh, the Lord's words. Secondly, I want you to notice the response of the people. Now, we'll, we'll see the response and how they talk back and what they say. And so do they receive his word or reject it? I bet you can already guess what they're going to do. Uh, if, you're, if you've been following along with us. And number three, notice that everything he says points to one main truth, namely that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, which is God. All the things he's going to say basically point to one main truth. So, if you found John 8, verse 31, signify you're ready to hear it by saying word. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, You shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant or slave of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do not and you do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered him and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We We're not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, 
you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that you are Samaritan and you are a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory, there is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets that are dead? Who makest thou thyself? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. A long reading this morning, but I want to give you a message today uh, that has three truths from this passage. Though there are more than three, I'm going to give you three uh, important truths from this passage. Are you all ready? All right, here we go. Number one, notice that true believers abide in the word of Christ. Now, as, you, as we read verse 31... It does say this. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews which, what? Believed on him. But the, the way this language is used here, and the way we see this in context, is that this is likely speaking of people who, who profess to believe, or they believed maybe with an intellectual assent to some of the things Jesus was saying, but they were not yet true believers. I actually think Jesus is talking to at least three different groups of people here. There are, I believe in this group, there are some believers that are mixed in. There are clearly some enemies of Christ. As you see by the end of the passage, they're picking up stones to kill him. 
But there are also this group of professing believers who are not true believers. And so Jesus says very plainly, by the way, that's probably the case every Sunday, that there are believers and unbelievers and people who think they're believers who are not believers. In most churches, that's probably most every Sunday. But Jesus makes it clear, he makes a clear distinction between those who are truly his disciples and those who are not. Do you see it in verse 31? Look there and see if you see it. What's, what's the distinction? He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And so the idea here is to continue or, I like the word, abide in the word of Christ. To abide means to live somewhere, to make somewhere your home, to, to move in there, right? And when you abide somewhere, it's meant to be a, a permanent dwelling, not a temporary uh, residence. Some of you have probably moved a lot in your lifetimes. How many of you would say, I've moved a lot, a lot of houses? Me too, I've moved a lot of times. It's not fun to move, right? And I bet there might be somebody in here that's lived in one house their whole life. Anybody? Or two houses? Yeah, I mean, a few people maybe that like you just stay there your whole life. And I don't know what's better, if moving around or staying in one place. But um, it's all, I guess it's all pipes, it's all whatever. But the point here is that true believers are not moving around from one thing to the next. They are dwelling in the word of Christ. True believers don't go around looking for other better things than Jesus. They know in Christ they have found the best thing and they stay there. And that's what we seek to do. Now that doesn't mean we have to be Bible experts, but we certainly want to know the word of God and study it and try to know as best we can what God is saying. And so if true believers continue in the word, then unbelievers must reject the word. If not initially, then certainly they do ultimately. Look with me, flip to John chapter 6. A couple of pages back to your left in your Bible, maybe. John 6, we've studied this before. Remember when thousands of people are following Jesus? He's doing miracles. They're hungry. He's feeding them. They are just, it's a large crowd around Christ. And then he begins to make some difficult teachings, doesn't he? He says some difficult things. Find John 6 and 66, verse 66. And it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So those people, in a sense, followed him initially, but ultimately they rejected Christ, didn't they? And then he looked at his disciples and said, you're going to go too. And they said, where else can we go? You're the son of God. You have the words of eternal life. There are people in this day and time who, who can get away with pretending to be Christians in our, in our culture of church and the Bible Belt. And that's a very scary thing, in my opinion. It's a very scary thing that you can play the part of a Christian, go to church, act good, and think you're right with a holy God. And that's, again, that's a danger for us in our, in our culture. And it's a very dangerous thing that someone might fool uh, people around them their entire lives and then ultimately not be born again. That's a sad thing to think about, isn't it? 
And so the reminder here that I want you to see, maybe jot this down if you're taking notes, temporary discipleship is not true discipleship. Have you known people like this? Have you known people who get excited about God for a short time, but then they just kind of fall away from Him? I mean, that's a classic church thing, isn't it? Somebody comes to church, they come up talk to the preacher, they want to get baptized, they get baptized, and they never go to church ever again. <laughs> Which is why we don't baptize people very quickly here. We like to have, have conversations with you first. But, but that's a big thing. So temporary discipleship is not true discipleship. Don't come to Jesus just for a season of your life or just for a year of your life or just for a decade of your life. To come to Jesus in truth means you come forever with your life. So how do these people respond to him saying, if you continue my word, you're my disciples, you'll know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Verse 33, they said, we are Abraham's seed and we were never in bondage to any man. So just by that response, do you think they're receiving his word in verse 33 or rejecting it? Seems like rejecting. Because Jesus just said, you'll know the truth, the truth shall set you free. And their first thought was, we're not in bondage, we're not slaves. And that leads me to my second main point, my second important truth. Unbelievers are slaves to sin. Now I want you to think with me about your Old Testament. These Jews, they have experience with uh, servitude and with slavery. Remember in Exodus, for 400 years they were slaves in Egypt. Remember later on in the Old Testament, uh, they were taken captive, two different groups at two different times taken captive and, and, and forced to live in a, sense, in a sense as slaves or not as free people as they want to be. And even when Jesus is there, they're not slaves, but they were under Roman occupation. And so for them, it's a very you know, prideful thing to say, we're not in bondage, we're not, we don't need to be set free, right? That's what they're saying, we don't need to be set free, what are you talking about? We're, we're the ch children of Abraham. Father Abraham, we, we don't need your free, the freedom that you're talking about. I can imagine these, these people, almost like they want to bring their birth certificate to Christ and say, look, I, I got the birth certificate, I, I'm in the right family, I have the right lineage, and it's a good reminder for us, here's a side note, that it doesn't matter what family we're born into, we still must all be born again. Now, I love it if someone is born into a Christian family and a Christian home, and you get that experience of growing up in a Christian family, but no matter what family you're born into, right, you must be born again. It doesn't matter if your dad is, or your parents are, or your dad's a preacher. It doesn't matter, right? We must be born again. I want to say a couple things about this point. And we can look there at 33 through 38, and, and Jesus has this conversation. In 34, he says, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. Then verse 36, he talks about it again. If the Son makes you free, you, you shall be free. And again, he's bluntly, just intensely speaking to these people. And so when we think about being a, a slave to sin, I want to say a couple things about this. Ready? 
You may want to write this down or you may not. I don't know. The first thing is your choices are real. Your choices are real, but your will really isn't free. Your choices are real, but your will really isn't free. Let me explain what I mean by that. This morning, you woke up, every one of you woke up, right? And you made a choice to roll out of bed or climb or jump, however you get out of bed. You got out of bed, and you got dressed, and you came here. And you made that choice, right? And when you're done here, you're going to make another choice. That's to go somewhere, go home or go eat or go wherever you're going to go. Our choices are real. They matter. God calls us to follow the revealed will of God, which is his word. And so we're to obey the word in every way we can. But it amazes me when it comes to particularly salvation, how people glorify their free will. And I don't like that. And I think most of church culture loves to talk about their free will when it comes to salvation. And I was reading what Jonathan Edwards said. Edwards might have been the greatest American biblical scholar of all time. And and Edwards said this. He said, free moral agents always act according to the strongest inclination they have at the moment of choice. So to put it simply... When you sin, at that moment, when we sin, at that very moment, we're choosing that sin over Christ. Or if we choose to obey Christ, we're choosing Christ over sin in that very moment. And Edwards talks about us being slave to sin and what that means. When Adam fell in the Garden of Eden... Every part of us was ruined, corrupted, right? Physical, physical bodies corrupted. That's why we break down and eventually die. Sin leads to death physically. But more than physical consequences of Adam's sin, they're the spiritual consequences of Adam's sin. Let me give you a few. First, our minds are corrupted. Verses. Our minds are corrupted. Our minds are blinded. 1 Corinthians 2.14 said the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In a sinful state, before being born again, an unbeliever is a slave to sin, and a part of that slavery is a blinded spiritual mind. Not only that, our hearts are darkened. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And back in Romans 1, 21, it says, Their foolish hearts, the hearts of unbelievers, are darkened. So in Adam's sin, we have corrupted hearts, corrupted minds, and finally, our wills are captive. John 1.13 says, We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then Romans 9, many of you know Romans 9.16, says, So then it does not depend on the man who wills, or the man who runs, 
but on God who has mercy. The point I'm trying to make to you is, when we're born into this world with a sin nature, the nature of our first father, Adam, we are slaves to sin, and on our own, we would never will or choose God, ever. We will choose sin every time. And so, it, to be honest, it bothers me when people glorify free will because they're glorifying that as the decisive factor in someone's salvation. When we believe, and I hope we believe, that the decisive factor in one's salvation is the sovereign grace of God, doing a work in us that we can never do ourselves. That's what we glorify. It's so vain for a spiritually dead person to say, I'm going to do this and get God's approval. I'm going to do this and get God's acceptance. I'm going to do this and get God's forgiveness. We boast in not only the sovereign grace of God, we boast in the sovereign God of grace who we serve. The second thing I want to say about being uh, slaves to sin is that we cannot hear God's word until God does a work in us. Now, I get this in some of these verses here. Look at verse 37. He says, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Again, a difference, a distinction between believers and unbelievers. Believers abide in the word, have the word in them, and unbelievers, Jesus says here, there's no place for the word in them. And, and maybe someone's thinking today, I don't know which one I am. How do I know which one I am? Is, is it how many, how many hours I spend reading my Bible or how many times I go to church? No. I think one way you can examine it is by this, by this. Do you have a taste for the things of God? A desire for the things of God. If we have a taste, a desire for the things of God, then God has put that in us. If we have no taste and have no desire for the things of God, His Word is not in us. Skip down to verse 43. Jesus said, why do you not understand what I'm saying? Because you cannot hear my word. Again, back to verse 32. They, unbelievers, did not know the truth, which is Christ. He's the truth. And that truth had not yet set them free, so they're captive in bondage to sin. I hope, I don't know, I hope this is kind of pointing a negative picture of how damning sin is in lives, right? For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. It's appointed unto man once to die after this, the judgment. All these verses pop in, pop in my mind about how bad sin is and how, what it does to us. But I want to give you some truth and some not truth, but I hope it's truth, but also some direction. Verse 32 says, The truth shall set you free. So thinking about being a slave to sin and wanting to be set free, and how does that happen? Let me quote uh, a, new, a new guy this morning by the name of J.C. Ryle. I'm going to introduce him to you. He says, Wherein does the liberty of true Christians consist? Of what is their freedom made up? They are freed from the guilt and consequences of sin by the blood of Christ. Justified, pardoned, forgiven, they can look forward boldly to the day of judgment and cry, Who shall lay anything to our charge? Who is he that condemns? They are freed from the power of sin by the
the grace of Christ's Spirit. Sin has no longer dominion over them. Renewed, converted, sanctified, they mortify and tread down sin and are no longer led captive by it. Liberty like this is the portion of all true Christians in the day that they flee to Christ by faith and commit their souls to Him. That day they become free men. Liberty like this is their portion forever. Death cannot stop it. The grave cannot even hold their bodies for more than a little season. Those whom Christ makes free are free for all eternity. And if you're a Christian, to me that's exciting that Christ has set us free. But for unbelievers, they don't see it until God opens their eyes. He makes us free. In verse 39 and following, Jesus continues to get, again, I've been using the word blunt or intense, and begins to call things out uh, in their lives, and, and they even, you know, again, they try to steer the conversation in verse 41 uh, a little different direction maybe, and he just keeps coming back and giving bold, bold truth. And one thing that stands out to me from this section is they continue to say, Abraham's our father. Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, no, Abraham's not your father. The God of Abraham's not your father. He says someone else is their father. Who did he say? The devil. Now, how does that make you feel? If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, nice to see you. Your father's the devil. (laughs) That's not good, right? Uh, Just a note, a side note. I don't think Jesus was very big on you know, PC culture, or lack of confrontation, or tolerance in some way, like, he just told him like it was, your father's the devil, and he calls the devil there, as you go through uh, 44, verse 44, especially, he, he says, the devil is a murderer and a liar, a couple things about that, first, when he talks about Satan as a liar, Look at the end of verse 44. He says that Satan is the the father of it. I like this. That word father can be interpreted as originator. So to say Satan is the father of lies means he's the originator of lies. What was Satan's first lie? I don't know. Was it it to Eve in the garden? You you won't get, you won't, what God says is not going to come true. Eat this fruit. I don't know, Satan's lied a lot. That's what he does. (laughs) He lies. He's the father of lies. And then he mentions murder. And doing some cross-referencing, I found a couple of interesting verses. Listen to 1 John 2, 9 through 11, written by the same apostle that wrote what we're reading today. 1 John 2, 9 through 11 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness had blinded his eyes. Let me give you 1 John 3.14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. We know the scripture says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? That even though we may have not have murdered someone actually, when we hate our brother in our hearts, Jesus said that is like murdering them, like killing them. So Satan is the father of lies. He's a murderer. 
And Jesus is saying to them, you're not a child of Abraham in the way you think you are. Because you lie, and you hate, and you don't receive me. If you were a child of Abraham, you would love the things Abraham loved. Was Abraham a man of faith? Yes, of course. You would be a man of faith like Abraham if he was truly your father. If you were a child of God, you would love the things that God loves. Jesus here is showing them, and the Bible shows us this all the time, that our lives prove who our Father truly is. And even if we think we're okay, 2 Corinthians says we need to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Or as Bree said Wednesday night, we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Inside joke for Wednesday night crowd. But in all seriousness, Jesus continues to show our lives prove who our Father is. And I hope and pray that our Father is the God of the Bible, the Heavenly Father. Let's move to our third and our final point. A simple but powerful truth that we must hold, we must always hold this as a truth, and we will. Jesus is God. Again, so much of what he said in chapter 8 and so much of what Christ said in his ministry is pointing to his deity. That he really is God. And he's saying these things and they, in verse 48 and 49, they're like, well, you have a devil. You know, they're just like, now that he's blunt, they're attacking him back. He tells them, he talks about his father as you move through the passage there. But the point is, the takeaway from this to me is he's God. And I want to give you five implications quickly. Because Jesus is God, blank. And here comes five of them. Ready? Because Jesus is God, all he says is true. He is the way and the what? Truth and the life. He is the light of the world, as we saw last week, the only source of of true spiritual light and life. And so if you want truth, if you want light, if you want life and life, then you need to find it in Christ. He is the exclusive source of life. And in this passage, I won't call out the verses to you again, but he talks many times about his word, continuing in his word, receiving in his word, following the word. His word is true, and because it's true, it is powerful. Every one of us in this room have had people hurt us or lie to us or lie about us or offend us in some way. But in Christ, we have one who's always right and true to us. He's never lied to us and he never will. Notice, secondly, a second implication is that he rightly reveals the Father. Now, in some ways, creation can show us some about God. Other people can show us about God in some ways. But Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. And Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, having become much more superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He is trying to show these people who the God the Father is, and they're not getting it. Thirdly, he's the way to God. Again, he is the way, the truth, the life. He, we've been seeing it in this chapter. He keeps saying, I was sent from God. I know the Father. I'm sent from him. I'm the way to him. And they keep rejecting it. He's the one and only way. We must always preach that. Number four, notice how you treat Jesus is how you treat God. Look at verse 42. How you treat Jesus is how you treat God. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he that sent me. If you loved God, you would love me. We understand this, I think, right? That Jesus is God, the Son of God. To believe Jesus is to believe God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. To obey Jesus is to obey God. To disobey Jesus is to disobey God. What we say about Christ is what we say about God. We don't separate those things. Fifthly, he can save to the uttermost. Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The Christ that we've sang about today and the Christ we're preaching about, it doesn't matter what you've done or how much sin you've been into or how bad you think you are. The Christ we're talking about can save anyone who calls on him to the uttermost. So you can't sit here this morning and say, he can't save me, he can't do this, he can't do that. Our God is able to save. Scripture says he is mighty to save. Look with me at verse 58. As we think about Jesus is God, he is deity. They say in verse 57, um, you're less than 50 years old, how do you know... You, you haven't seen Abraham, and then in verse 58 he says, Before Abraham was, what do you say? I am. Think about it. Take a moment to think about it. Where do we see this in the Old Testament? Some of you know. Exodus, Moses. God tells Moses to go speak, go lead the children out. And Moses says, God, who do I... Who do I tell him sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Go tell the people that I am sent you. The people Jesus is preaching to in John chapter 8, they know Exodus chapter 3. <laughs> they know that phraseology, which by the way, he's used this previously in chapter 8. I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but he's used this previously. But this, he says it here in such a bold, intense in-your-face way when he says, before Abraham was, I am. And what was their response to that statement? <laughs> they picked up stones. Blasphemy. He's blaspheming. 
to pick up stones. and We know it was not yet his time, and so Jesus was able to get out of there before they could throw the stones, I guess. Let me move to my conclusion. For all who believe, for all of us who believe, we must abide in the word of Christ. Never leaving it, never running from it, but abiding. And how we do that, how we abide in who Christ is, is to, and again, it's, it's simple, but we have to just keep coming back to the basics. We must get the word, we must be in the word until the word gets in us. We must be in God's word. We must be people of prayer, and we need the church. We need each other. We need the encouragement. And so I encourage you to be active in your involvement in our church because we, you, you need it, and we all need each other. We're, our family fit together. So for all who believe, we must abide in the word of Christ. And as we abide, we're going to know the truth, verse 32, and the truth of who Christ is has set us free. And we live in that freedom. We've been set free from the power of sin. Yes, sin still gets us down at times, but we know our sin is forgiven, and we know we can turn and repent back to Christ as much as we need to. Another question, are you listening to Jesus' Father? or another? Are you abiding in Christ or avoiding? Are you remaining in Christ or rejecting? Where do you stand with Christ? One more verse, 52. They say Abraham's dead and the prophets are dead. Let's, you know, Abraham's dead, he's gone. Jesus says, if you keep my saying, you shall never taste death. I found a definition for taste here. And it's a similar word to when you, when you stare at something with your eyes. So a different sense, not just taste, but sight. And some of y'all take the same route every day. You go to work or you come to church, you take the same route. You see the same stuff over and over again. And you just get familiar with stuff, right? You just get very familiar with stuff that you see over and over again. And it's this picture here of a long, steady uh, vision of something that we look at until we become extremely um, acquainted with that thing. And so in looking at this idea of tasting death or not tasting death and not seeing death, I will give you the words of Spurgeon. He said, while unforgiven, I cannot help but gazing upon death and foreseeing it as my doom. Now read it again. While unforgiven, in the state of unbelief, I cannot help but gazing upon death and foreseeing not just physical death, but eternal death as my doom. He continues and says, but when the gospel of the Lord Jesus comes to my soul and I keep his saying by faith, I am completely turned around. My back is upon death and my face is towards eternal life. I pray our faces are towards eternal life.
our back is to eternal death. Jesus has made it clear, if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. That's worth worshiping him this morning and praising him. Let's pray.